Welcome to the Leadership Unscripted podcast presented by Hiring Strategies. The Leadership Unscripted podcast is your go-to source for all things people management oriented. In each episode, we discuss industry trends, problems, and more importantly, offer solutions. We are so happy you could join us. So welcome to um, uh, Leadership Unscripted. I'm Kim Leifson. And I'm here today with Tatiana um, St. Germain. This is our second live stream. So we do have one a bit of experience under our belt, but please bear with us as we still learn this technology. Um, I Just to give you a little bit of background on me, I've spent the last 20 years helping leaders and owners and managers solve their workforce problems and challenges. Um, and I'm here with Tatiana St. Germain, who owns Great People Management. Welcome, Tatiana. Thanks for being here again. Um, you want to take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Kim, for having me. I'm Tatiana St. Germain, executive coach and talent advisor to corporations who are looking to create I love my job culture. Um, and at Great People Management, we do leadership development, team development, executive coaching, and improve on the hiring and reten retention strategies. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, right, Kim? Absolutely. A little bit touching on that? Absolutely. Today, we want to talk about the positions that you're having the most trouble filling or you're having a lot of retention or retention issues and turnover in those positions. Um, so please feel free to jump into the chat box and put your questions in there. And we want to have as much of a discussion as we can have uh, this morning. But to get us started while we're waiting for you to kind of get used to using the chat feature and um, participating with us, um, Tatiana, talk to me a little bit about what you're hearing are some of the most difficult positions to fill out there? I know you talk to lots of um, executives. What are you hearing um, going on in the marketplace right now? What, what are they struggling with? It's really been across the board, a variety of different positions, different levels, uh, different skill sets. And I thought maybe we'll, we'll get some clarity if we conduct a poll on LinkedIn and actually just confirm the fact that organizations struggle with finding, filling positions and finding talent for all types of roles, including engineers. So there's a couple that I pulled from the poll, uh, civil engineers, frontline personnel, manufacturing is struggling as well because they do have to have people, um, you know, when you can't make widgets virtually. So you have to come to the, to the office, to the factory, and that's become difficult for a variety of factors that we can um, also touch on today. So it's across the board. What about you, Kim? What have you hear have you been hearing? Yeah, um, my clients are telling me kind of two ends of the spectrum. I'm hearing right now that if you're looking for highly skilled degreed positions um, like you know accountants or teachers or lawyers or um, engineers, those positions that require a degree, a specialization skill, um, those are the ones that people are having a hard time finding right now. 
that end of the spectrum and then the other end of the spectrum, which is kind of frontline customer service, um, uh, restaurants, you know, um, uh, retail, those kind of entry level positions. Um, everything in the middle seems to be more fluid, at least from what I'm hearing. People are jumping um, between positions and between roles and between organizations in that middle section, middle management um, roles where, you know, you can do the job for 10 years and it's the same level of experience as someone coming out of school with a degree. Um, those roles um, are a little more fluid. It's those that ends those two ends, the dichotomy um, that's seems to be causing a lot of the problem. Um, that's what I'm hearing from my clients right now. So I thought we would talk a little bit today about what are some of those retention strategies, right? What can we do to keep people? What can we do? Also, let's talk a little bit about um, what can we do to attract the right people um, to our organizations? So what are you talking to your clients about right now? What are you suggesting? Uh, what, what advice are you giving them as they come to you with, I can't find someone to fill this position, or I'm turning over a ton of people in this role. What are you telling them right now? Uh, before I answer that question, I also just wanted to piggyback on what you said. Uh, while there are many organizations who struggle with filling positions, there's just as many who are saying, I don't know, for some reason, I'm kind of immune to this. And those are the type of organizations that have been attracting the attention of the research organizations uh, who go in and it's like, okay, it sounds like, or it seems like you're best in class. Uh, you're immune to some of these woes that we're experiencing in the workplace. What sets them apart? What makes them different? And I would actually put some, most of my clients are in that category of best in class organizations because they have outside uh, help perspectives and providers and tools to make sure that they work really diligently on creating an organization where people love to come to work. They become an employer of choice. And there's multiple strategies that combine give that result of being an employer of choice where people not only stay, but they become a magnet for talent, even in the most difficult work uh, environment. Um, but what I point my clients, and I've done some presentations on this, I point them to the slide that I'm going to share with you guys. What do people care about? And what we're finding, this is a source from McKinsey and Company, but I've gone through a ton of research and research after research confirms basically the same, maybe not in the same order, but what employees care about is our interactions, not transactions. Mm -hmm. And all too often, we, we kind of go into the money thing. Well, how much money can we throw at them to make them stay? Or how much money can we give them a sign-on bonus to entice people to come to work for our organization? And unfortunately, it just, it's not enough. People care about more than those transactions. In fact, there is even a concept 
called um, bonus collectors. So there's, I'm sure some of the people online, uh, they're familiar with that. People get there and in 30 days or whatever the threshold is, they get the bonus, they're out the door, they go to across the street for $2 more, sometimes even for $1 more. So it really becomes a transaction. And that's where all companies, large and small, have a tremendous opportunity to differentiate. They need to attract people, engage them uh, based on what people care about, ensure that they are valued, that they are appreciated, that there's opportunities for advancement. They have a caring team. Um, when they come on board, they're immediately, their onboarding experience is positive. They're valued by the organization. And they feel engaged and connected. The connectivity and the sense of belonging is very important. I mean, it's always been important. So this entire conversation is not something new that we didn't have before, pre-COVID. This, this stuff has been going on. It's just it kind of got flushed out by COVID and people have had enough. And like, yep, I, I'm spending a ton of time at work. So I want to feel fulfilled. And I do believe that every person should or isn't is entitled has the right to feel fulfilled to yeah. be fulfilled in the workplace yeah I think there's this uh, thanks for pointing that out you know that middle group of people that I was talking about that aren't having these challenges um there is that group of people I think it's easy to get caught up into the conversation and the media about well everybody's having this problem so it's not me right um, I think if you if you have that mentality, you're doing yourself a disservice because um, there are lots of organizations that aren't having that challenge. And what are they doing different from you? I think it's always important anytime we are forced to grow or there's a change, we really have to hold up that mirror and say, what are we doing that could be contributing to this? Um, how can we do things different so that we can overcome this challenge or that we can come out of the, the other side of this change in a positive way? And there are things that you can do, lots of things that you can do. Um, that list that you just brought up is a, a good start to that. Um, I also think that leaders um, sometimes have a hard time accepting that they are part of the problem, that they are, um, uh, that they are contributing to an environment that is not ideal for employees to work in. And I think that it's easy for us, especially, you know, I think some of the baby boomers and prior generations, they had to live through that. They had to live through uh, cultures where um, organizations had the power. People didn't have the power. Organizations had the power. And so they could spread their employees really thin. They could demand that they work under certain conditions because employees had no choice. Um, and so I think those generations that had to work in the, under those conditions, there's a little bit of the mentality of, well, I had to do it. So you should too. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Um, which I understand that, like, it's not fair. Like I had to do this. It's, it's just the way it is. Well, it's not the way it is anymore. Um, the reality is that the economics have shifted and employees now have the power. There are more jobs available. 
then there are bodies to fill them. So because of that, employees have more of a, of a, um, a say in where they want to work, what kind of environment they want to work in, what kind of work they want to do, who they want to work with, um, what kind of management style they're going to tolerate. Um, and so because of that, we as employers really have to look at this differently. And that list that you put up, I think, is, is really critical for people to really put that mirror up and say, am I providing these kinds of things? So um, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. And another thing, as you were talking, I'm going to share this, too, um, because you mentioned toxic leadership. What we're really speaking is to the agility of the organization. It's it's like, look, just because you've done things before this way, it's it's probably the worst thing that can you can do as a person, as a human, as a leader, and also as an organization as a whole, is to say, um, well, that's how we've always done things. Right. And it's the enemy of progress. So it's like complaining that it's raining when you go outside. No, you just right. go back inside, get the umbrella, and you go get to work. Well, we so, okay, it's a... raining, we don't have enough people, or we we can't keep people. Okay, what do we do? Let, let's look in the mirror, like you said. Yeah. Do we shelter toxic leaders? So it's got kind of a long way to get back to your question that you asked me. Well, what, what am I recommending when people come to me and complain about not being able to find uh, enough people or find the right people? And I say complain because it's really an excuse. Um, it is a challenge. So let's talk through this challenge. Do we have, to, are, are we sheltering toxic leaders for the sake of maintaining headcount? Oh, God forbid somebody leaves. What are we going to do then? Well, God forbid a toxic leader stays. What are you going to do then? Do we have the right people in the right positions? Once again, if before, like you said, that's how we've always done things. We didn't need to care. We just pay the money. They come to work. They do the job. They go home. Well, now it's a little bit bigger, bigger than that, bigger than the skill set. Mm -hmm. uh, do the managers know how to lead? Or I say, do they have the drivers or the license to drive, to drive that bus? <laughs> right. And I think that if leaders and executives would stop for a second and think about it, they want these things too. Mm -hmm. They want environments that are collaborative, that are not toxic, that they don't have micromanaging uh, well, that's not true. There are some people that actually thrive into micromanaging environments. Um, but for the most part, people want autonomy. They want to, they want empowerment. They want to know that you care that. And, and I think those leaders that, that say, well, that's, you know, that's not the way it is. And this is the way we've always done things and, and create this toxic environment. If they stopped for a second and really thought about it, they too want all of these things. Um, we have a comment from a, a listener who said, um, I've always thought that good companies don't have trouble finding employees. Good hiring practices reduce turnover. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is the mantra of too many companies. Um, what are the good companies doing? So let's talk about that a little bit. That's a great question. What are some of those good companies doing, Tatiana, that you're seeing? The one thing I always mention, number one, is uh, culture. And culture, unfortunately, when we set out to build culture, doing air quotations, for those of you who are just listening, not seeing us, culture is really the result of a combination of strategies 
it's the reward that you reap as a result of the things that you do well. So you don't set out to build this amazing culture. You have to break it down into small components. Um, and so those components can vary. Again, we can go back to that list um, where you have to establish your core values. Shared destiny is also extremely important. I bring up an example of um, a, it was an organization that built build incubators for in neonatal unit, uh, units in hospitals. And so when a consultant came in to do, they were doing kind of a culture exercise. So he came in and um, started asking people, what do you do? He went to a warehouse and asked the forklift operator, what do you do here? Even though it's kind of obvious what he does. And he said, I'm saving babies. So he was part of that destiny. And, and as I've probably said before, it's not like every company is saving babies. Okay, that's easy to get behind that. <laughs> um, but you have to create a sense of shared destiny. Don't keep those core values and what you're really after too close to your vest if you're in the leadership team. Share, share why is it important? Because it ties to that sense of connectedness um, and purpose that employees are seeking. Yeah. I'm going to share, if you're okay, Tatiana, mm -hmm. I'm going to share my screen really quick um, and bring up our inspired culture because this is exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's creating that culture that employees want to live and work and be in, right? Because they do live at work. Um, they, especially some people who are working remotely, they absolutely live at work. <laughs> and um, they're probably working more hours than people at work. Who are, who are coming to work because there's no cutoff time, right? Um, I find that it's difficult for me. I work from home as well. And I find that cutoff time to be like, oh gosh, well, I can do that. I'll come back to that at eight o'clock when my kids are in bed, right? So there's no, it's a constant being on. Um, so how do we create a culture where people are buying in? And what you're talking about right now is this purpose and why? Um, cog in the system. Um, and you're right, not every organization is saving babies, right? Like that's, and everyone wants to belong to that organization. Um, but what if you are part of a janitorial organization? Or what if you are part of, um, you work for your local sewer company? I mean, how do you get, how do you create purpose and why around that? Well, it really is about why does this why does this place exist? What are we trying to accomplish as a team? And if you don't have a clear purpose and why, then sitting down with your organization and asking that question, why are you here? Like, why do we exist? Why was this company founded? Go back to those roots and, and ask yourself, what are we here to achieve? And, and, and it may take a little time for you to come up with that, but there are processes and systems that you can go through. Um, and if you want to be connected with those, feel free to reach out to um, Tatiana or I um, that will help walk you through this. Um, we don't actually do that, but we do have connections and consultants that can help you do that. But you're, you're right on, Tatiana, that we have to have something to buy into. It doesn't mean that we have to be 100% passionate about the work that we do, 
but we have to have a reason to get up and go to work every day. And maybe that is a personal reason. There are some people who live to work and some people who work to live. Um, and that's okay. The difference I think with purpose and why is even if I am living, if I am working to live, then I still, when I go to work, I still want to know that I'm having an impact, that I'm, that I am um, working towards something with a group of people. I want to feel that connection. Um, and so uh, it's a little, that's a little bit about purpose and why. It's also a little bit about what's in it for the employee, right? What sort of impact are they going to have on the organization? Um, and not doesn't even have to be the organization as a whole. It can be what sort of impact are you having on your department? What sort of impact are you having on your hiring manager? If you don't know, if you um, don't connect to the larger organization, at least collect, connect to the smaller organization that you touch every day. That's enough. That can be enough. But you have to know what that is for each position in your organization and each individual in your organization, right? Why do they want to work there? Why, um, why this job? Why this department? Why this company? Why this purpose? Um, understanding that about your people is is critical. Yeah, I I agree with you. We have a comment, um, also great slides and comments. I agree completely. Henry Ford said that. A company that makes only money is a poor company. So I, that's exactly what we're talking about here. I think I would say pretty much every organization that survived COVID and is in the very least limping along, especially if they're thriving, all of those companies have realized the simple fact that you cannot be profit centric. Yes, companies are out there. They exist. It's part of capitalism. They exist to make money. But it's all about people. You have to be people-centric. And in fact, um, I use a quote that it's, um, we don't build companies, we build people who then build companies. It always starts with people. People are not only the backbone, the bloodline, the soul of the company, they're the foundation. They're, they're, you, can't, you can't build anything, you can't build widgets without yeah. people. People are the ones who make it happen and deliver the service. Right. Well, Simon Sinek even says that money is not a purpose. Money is a, a, an outcome, right? Mm -hmm. It's what happens because you're working towards something else. That's really um, what it's about. So yeah, great point. Is that from the infinite game? Um, It is. Yeah. It is. And he says, yeah, highly that, recommend, highly recommend that book to anyone. Yeah. If you don't know Simon Sinek, Google and there he's written lots of books. Um, around this whole topic, Simon Sinek, Adam Grant, um, those are some key thought leaders in this area that we're talking about any of their books or podcasts. Adam Grant has a great podcast. Um, even Simon Sinek has a podcast. Uh, Brene Brown covers this stuff. Um, it, it, Yeah, there's lots of people talking about this. This isn't just Tatiana and I sitting in a room going, hey, we have an idea. <laughs> this is a whole um, uh, leadership program and, and there's a whole industry out there fighting for this. Um, and they've actually been fighting for it for a long time. The yeah. challenge and the switch I think came with COVID and the, um, the, the mentality that life's too short and we need to do something different with our lives. 
couple that with the fact that the economics have changed and um, now there are more jobs available than people. And now you have this perfect storm of, okay, now we have to do something different. And so all of these people that have been talking about this for a long time and fighting for these, these ideals and, and structure and cultures in, inside of um, organizations are now being listened to. And they're taking the center stage because people are like, oh, shoot, we really have to do something different now. Um, so it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, it is. And uh, going back to the question that somebody asked, um, what can you do? What do those best-in-class companies are doing differentiate themselves? And we started talking about the, the core values, the why, the purpose. Just wanted to come back to that for a second. Uh, the the core values are extremely important, and I I've always thought all those the the, the ones that are up on the wall in pretty font, and people don't know what that means, are not real core values. Everybody in the organization, and especially on the leadership team, should know exactly what those core values are and live by those core values. So to give a very practical um, advice for those who are looking to work or rework their core values, I would recommend the book uh, Core Value Equation uh, by Darius. Oof, Mich I'm not even going to uh, try his last name. But I can show, um, let, let me just share my screen for just one second. Yeah, so I, can... I just wanted to point out really quickly, that's the another cog in the wheel, culture of integrity. And this is really about value systems. So absolutely. Yeah, just so that everybody can see the last name. Brilliant gentleman here, Darius. <laughs> Tried to pronounce that. <laughs> no, I, I would slaughter. Uh, so I'm going to leave okay, it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But the book is great. Core Value Equation. I listened to it. Um, going back to real conversations. Because what I, what I think stops people dead in their tracks, even if they have the best intent, by people I mean leaders who want to impact the, the current situation with the workforce. They're like, well, okay, so you, Kim and Tatiana, are just talking about this in these general terms. What can I do in practical terms? It's really not that complicated do do what you how do you want to be treated have real conversations with people and they will respond in in um in in kind yeah. no get to know your people do you know your people do you offer them career paths and development opportunities see what really makes them move um and make the investments in the people so going back to the right people do you want to talk about that a little bit Going back to the right, have to the right people, yeah, having the right people in the right positions. Yeah, and that's also one of the. Um, I'll share again one of the cogs on the wheel. It's the job fit piece, right? Um, making sure that you are attracting and keeping the right people. What are the right people? Um, in every organization, it's going to be different. And so you have to define that for yourself. And it's part of that is based on purpose and why part of it's based on your values. Part of it's based on um, your pay, uh, your leadership development. You see how why, there's a reason why these are cogs and they all play together because you can't do any one of them in isolation. Um, and so understanding what does a top performer look like? Being able to define what does a top performer look like in your organization 
Um, and what are the outcomes and expectations that you have for every single role in the company? And I know that sounds like a big task, right? Like, oh my gosh, I got to go through every single role in my company. And so people just don't do it because it's too overwhelming. Don't look at it that way. Look at one position at a time. What position am I hiring for today? What is the issue? What is the outcome and the expectation for that role? What does a top performer look like in that role? Um, and can I use some sort of assessments to, to build a pattern or a, um, a description of what sorts of behaviors and passions do I need in this role and cognitive abilities do I need in this role in order for this person to be successful? Um, you can absolutely use assessments to do that. What sort of emotional intelligence do we need in organizations? Um, start Googling that. Google emotional intelligence. Right now, that is huge. It really, emotional intelligence kind of encompasses this whole thing that we're talking about because it's about being self-aware as a leader, not just as an employee, but being self-aware of who you are and your own behaviors and what sort of behaviors do you need to exhibit in order to achieve a specific outcome? And if I need a specific outcome, I might have to behave differently than what I'm most comfortable with or what comes easy for me. And so it's knowing uh, that's what emotional intelligence is. In intelligence is. It's knowing what that comfort zone I have is and where is it that I need to be and how do I get there? And so... Um, the job fit piece um, around all of those things, those are the reasons people leave organizations. They don't leave because of skills. They don't leave because they don't, they don't leave because they don't have the skills. They don't leave because um, of something that you could have found on an application. They leave because they don't fit the job, they don't fit the manager, or they don't fit the team. So you really should be using some sort of assessments, emotional intelligence, behavioral assessments. Um, you could even use leadership 360 assessments um, to determine, is this person going to fit my organization? Because I can teach the skill. I can teach the skill. You can't teach fit. That's the most important thing. So I, did that answer your question, Tatiana? Yeah. Yeah, it's extremely important. Um, and I'm curious about whether or not any kind of assessments are implemented on the hiring side with all those job hoppers? Most likely not. Too many organizations uh, just, they're just settling for a warm body. And I, I recently came across Simon Sinek's uh, interview or podcast or something on LinkedIn about that. And what he's saying is to, to leaders and organizations is that this is gonna come back and haunt those people who are hopping around. Because so let's let's put this conversation on on the people. We've been up to this point. We were talking about what companies can do, but let's also look at the responsibility of the employees. What kind of reputation is this entire generation of the workforce is building for themselves? Because let's say what Simon Sinek was saying, five years from now, ten years from now, if you if you've had twenty jobs in the last in the last ten years, and you come to me. How are you going to be viewed by the organization if it's a reputable organization with high standards? So it got me thinking, well, okay, let's talk about those standards. Think, put, it, put it back on the leadership. 
and having the responsibility to build a reputation where we don't tolerate that kind of behavior. We don't tolerate uh, people who are collecting bonuses and not they're not earning a skill. There's nothing wrong if you start up with a company. And I mean, it happened with my husband, um, happened to people I know, and the job was completely misrepresented. And they get into it in the first week, they realize this is not what I was promised. This is a horrible company, horrible culture. Of course, you don't toxic environment, don't tolerate that. Go on to the next one, try it again. Uh, but if you continue doing that, you're not building any skills as an employee, no matter what level uh, you are at, entry level or leadership level. So it, it takes so many months to build up a, a new skill set that you can add to your resume where you can learn. And another aspect of that, people sometimes leave because there is a conflict between employee and manager. And at the first even inkling of any kind of conflict or contentious conversation that's about to come up, the person leaves. So conflict-averse people tend to drop, drop out. So they never learn to have a real conversation. What are we fostering here? We're going to have an entire generation of working people who never had a real tough conversation with another human being? This is crazy talk. So I got a really good point, Tatiana, because I think we've also done employees themselves. Um, we've done employees a disservice. Um, and I and I, when I say employees, I want to say kids. I want to say people um, because we continue to do it. And here's what we're doing. We're, we're saying, hey, go to school and get good grades so that you can go to college, right? Um, and then you're going to go to college and you're going to get good grades so you can get a job. And so they, they check all those boxes, check great, good grades, check finished elementary school, check finished high school, check. And there's all this anticipation of what's coming next, right? Because if I do all these things, then by the time I'm done, I'm going to be a successful, um, make lots of money because that's the most important thing. We have to be able to take care of ourselves, right? We have to make lots of money and um, we, then that all, all that happens and we get to, we get done with college and we get a job and we go, okay, what am I doing? Like, why am I, like, I have no idea what sort of manager is best for me. I have no idea even who I am. I've just been checking boxes for the last 30 years. We aren't talking about, we're not talking about what fits me as an individual. What sort of passions do I have? What am I driven and called to do? What, um, what sort of manager is going to help evoke the best out of me? Is it a micromanager? Because there are people that thrive in that kind of a relationship. Or is it a manager that's going to empower me and, and coach me and teach me to be the best me that I can possibly be? Um, what is that? And as employees, if you ask employees those questions, if you ask candidates those questions right now in your next interview, I guarantee you they're going to look at you with like eyes glassed over and go, well, gosh, I really haven't thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just as much as employers can't define outcomes, we can't define purpose and why, there's employees that can't define what sort of environment and culture they want and thrive in because they don't know. 
And so we have this huge disconnect right now. It's been all about checking boxes and putting people in chairs and getting the work done. But we haven't looked at, wait a minute, who are we and what do we want out of life? And what are we, why are we all doing all this work? Like, what is the purpose of all of that? And so I think we really, just as much, (laughs) employers have a lot of work to do, but employees have a lot of work to do too. And I mean, we're coaching employees on, on how to answer the interview questions. We're telling them how to write a good resume. We're, and, and in fact, you can go type your all your stuff into a template and it spits out a resume. Well, that's not telling you anything about who that person is. It's telling you what they've done, which yes, talks about skills, but again, skills aren't why you're going to keep someone. It's not even going to be why you attract someone. So we've got this huge misconception, miscommunication between employers and employees about what really matters. And so that's where that is what we have to work on as individuals, as employees, and as parents who are raising our kids. And we're saying, hey, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Well, yes, those things are important. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying, but in context, right? In context of what drives you, what excites you, what sort of um, teacher or leader um, evokes the best things about you? Are you noticing or coaches, right? Think back to the coaches that you had, the teachers you had. What was it that they did that helped you become the best you? Because that's what you want to look for in a leader. That's what you want to look for in a culture. Those are the things we need to start talking about personally. Yeah, it is a bigger conversation. You're right. And it's responsibility of all parties involved. Just like when you're, before you get married, you have to talk about certain things. But even people, there's some couples who, (laughs) before they get married, they don't talk about important things. So how can we expect employees to talk Correct. about their expectations and employers to talk about their expectations in this context? Um, we have a Going comment. Back. Oh, sorry, go ahead. We have a comment. Do you want to finish your thought? Or go to the comment. Before, yeah, before we go to that comment, I just want to jump back to the question, what can I do? right? What can I do as an employer to start this process or to do things a little bit different? And I think we've touched on some kind of esoteric things you can do, but I would say um, there's something very specific you can do. And that is build one-on-ones into your day as a leader. Um, Whether it's three minutes in the morning when you first get in, go stop by one employee's office or one employee's workspace and just say, hey, how was your evening? What went on with your kids? Hey, last weekend, you told me your kids had a soccer game. How did it go? Did they win? You know, check in with employees. And I heard someone say that every morning that they do that, they go back to their desk and they write notes about what they heard from their employees. And then the next week they go back and they check on them. Just that one small act will make a huge difference um, in how your employees view you as a leader and how they view your culture, because that spills over into my leaders creating a culture where they care about me, where they just, they know who my, what my kids' names are, right? Those sorts of small things go a really long way, a really long way. Yeah. It's just being, being real human human. in the workplace instead of a bunch of robots. 
Um, and I, I do want to get to some of our creative retention strategies because that also ties into that original question, what are companies doing not just to attract but to keep people? But the comment that we got is, uh, I like that some employees need to change their mindset to I get to instead of I have to. Um, I get to go to work today to provide for my family versus I have to. And I think that's accomplished within successful cultures where they feel they make a difference, make a difference for themselves, make a difference for the organization. Right. So yeah, responsibilities with both sides of the spectrum. It's not just companies. And I think uh, over time, I, I already see the beginnings of uh, this kind of overall culture of where the stigma for having consultants and coaches and therapists is removed and people don't put that all that pressure on themselves. Like, well, I have to be able to do it all by myself. You really can't, you have to tap into the wisdom of others. So just like organizations really need to invest in their processes and outside consultants, sometimes just for the sheer value of outside perspective. Right. Because when you are like, think of small businesses, they've created something cool, they're building a product, they're in it, they're in their lane, and they don't go outside of it. And so they really don't know what they don't know, they need to invest in consultants and coaches, and employees have to do that too, so that we can all be better rounded people, but um, with better emotional intelligence, bit more self aware, and yeah. aware of others. Absolutely. Um, um, I want to I want to comment for a second, Tatiana, on that. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I, you're absolutely right that employees need to have a mind shift, right? Um, an attitude adjustment, if you will. Um, I like that. <laughs> um, about I get to come to work. I get to provide for my family. I get to do all of these things, but I don't think that comes from. Um, a place of, I hate my job, but I get to, I get to provide for my family. Right. Um, I grew up with a father who absolutely hated his job. He had that mentality for 50 years. He did that job for 50 years because he did see it as his responsibility. Right. Um, he had a family to care for. And for lots of reasons, he has a work ethic beyond anybody I know. Um, that man worked 16 hour days, six days a week for 50 years. I mean, talk about that. That's exactly what that comment is asking for, right? It's asking for the, I get to provide for my family. I get, I have the opportunity. I'm lucky to have a job. I, all of those things are true. However, let me tell you what it was like working for a father or living with a father who hated his job. He was never there. He, um, when he was home, it was like walking on eggshells every single day because he was volatile. It not, not physically volatile, but emotionally volatile. And so it didn't provide for an, uh, an environment that allowed the family to thrive. And um, I think we have to be careful when we're saying things like, well, they should be lucky they have a paycheck, right? They should be lucky they have a paycheck. They need to come to work. Um, that's true, but there's also no reason why you should have to work in an environment that is toxic. 
um, that where your employer doesn't mm. value you as an individual, as a human being, um, where you don't feel like you're contributing or you feel like you're doing work, but your impact is not being shared, meaning um, they don't see the impact that you're having. Um, so I think there, there's a fine line there between giving it your all despite what's going on and um, tolerating things that you should not have to tolerate. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's only healthy when that comment in that comment, in that context, it's only healthy to say I get to come to work uh, when you're fulfilled, you feel fulfilled in that exactly. job. I think that, you know. Happy. Um, I am happy to come to work and I'm lucky to have this job. I say that every day. I do. I say, I am so lucky, especially during COVID, right? Um, when a lots of people weren't going to work and they were having to stay home and they were like, what am I going to do? I'm going to run out of money. Um, I was lucky. My husband was lucky. We were very blessed to still have work and a paycheck coming in. Um, but I also created that situation for myself, right? We chose jobs. We worked, uh, uh, we chose jobs that um, are a little less volatile uh, to the marketplace, number one. And number two, um, we both love what we do. We absolutely love what we do. And so, um, yes, I'm very lucky to have that job. But those people who went to work um, and then, or during COVID didn't have work to go to and, um, we're kind of going, gosh, I didn't want to go there anyway. This is a little bit of a, a reprieve for me, right? Mm -hmm. I did have people who were saying that as well. So it's different. I think when you truly, um, uh, feel like you are contributing and feel like you're having an impact, uh, finding and keeping those people, um, during times that are difficult, they're going to stick with you because they believe in what you're doing. So it's a different. Yeah. Oh my God, a res response to your, to your response. Yeah. Agreed. My point was that it's a two-way street and many people need to have more positive attitude. So that's what we were sure. saying. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Two-way street. Absolutely. The key is, and I, again, um, yes, we're saying the same thing, I believe. Um, but I think that, uh, a lot of times employers think that the paycheck is enough, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really not. It's really not. So I want to make that really clear. And it's not. And so this is a good segue into uh, some of the strategies for retaining people. Yeah. Let me share my slide. I basically collected these from my clients, my prospects, when I go networking and talking to people, hey, what are you guys doing today? And I've collected these over the last three years when we really started talking oh my god my hair's on fire everybody's walking work walking out how do i keep people how do i entice them so of course as we talked about before, earlier first and foremost we go into the money the compensation so there was a battle between you know in in our area where i'm at in wisconsin between amazon warehouse and uline warehouse and so like who who pays more money or trucking companies or any, any really any other company where people go across the street for a buck more. So higher compensation uh, became a, a big thing. 
Then sign-on bonuses. How do we entice people even more? Providing better benefits. We're still in that transactional um, list here. Uh, profit sharing is a little more interesting as one of the idea for higher compensation overall because it ties into the shared destiny and into the purpose. So people actually become part of the success and they reap the benefit from working, from, from being productive in, in the organization. Um, then the retention bonuses and stay bonuses, which blew my mind. Mm -hmm. so imagine other employees who've been loyal to the organization. They helped build this company. They've been, they've been there for 20 or 30 years. They've never gotten paid any kind of money for stay. Thank you for staying. And then you have somebody who just came in a couple of months ago and they get a stay bonus, a retention bonus. It's not fair. So that creates the, the polarization on teams and within the organization that could actually drive some of your loyal employees away. So we have to be careful with that. Again, it, it, I understand, I get it. Many companies were just like, okay, let, what can we do right now? What can we do tomorrow? And then you start to run out of money. Then you get a little more creative uh, because you can compensate at a higher rate only up to a point. Uh, then we have referral, employee referral bonuses. I wanted to give you an example. There was a panel discussion about retention at the manufacturing conference I attended, and their referral program was very interesting. They were offering their uh, the employee who referred a new employee after 90 days, that new employee had been with the company, the employee who referred them would get seven days vacation or five work days vacation. So they got a week off and they had they would get seven hundred fifty dollars to go and spend on that vacation. But they had to take the vacation and then come back to the team and share pictures, you know, tell all about it. So that was their way of uh, enticing or motivating current employees to refer good people. Yeah. And then some other fun things. I mean, food tables, pet insurance, childcare benefits, um, different work options. Again, depending on the industry, it's not everything is possible. Um, elder care benefits, in addition to other benefits, was an interesting add-on because especially during COVID and the heat of it, um, we had many elderly who were impacted and work age population had to take care of them. Um, and then we're getting into kind of more of the human um, factor factors. So on-site childcare, we've talked about it, but there's different regulation that can, can come into play here. So something I heard just a couple of weeks ago, what they're doing is job share, and you've all heard about job share, job share option, except they target a specific population. Let's say this is perfect job, ideal job for, uh, for young families. And if you have kids, let's hire 10 people to do five jobs and they actually work out amongst themselves childcare situations. So if it's, 10 women doing five jobs that the company facilitates and sort of organizes um, them together so they get to know each other. And while this one is doing half of the job, the other 
uh, person is taking care of everybody's kids, something like that. So then the company is out of the conversation other than facilitating it. Again, I'm not I'm not saying it's possible in every situation. I'm sure there's regulation issues that you have to be aware of, but you're putting it back, the responsibility back on the employee and giving them this idea. Hey, why not? We can do that. So that's a creative job share and childcare share situation. Of course, providing transportation directly to the location, that's important. Um, housing on site, uh, there's a lot of the residential development that's going up around factories where they provide both childcare and schools and, you know, get decent living conditions to young families. But then we get into community involvement, social media, um, really promoting the brand, the talent brand. What are we all about? Uh, why do people come to work for us and why do they stay? So employee stories became really prominent. And I've seen many organizations use this very successfully. Uh, having a career path for every employee that comes on board and doing it early on. <clears throat> We're talking in the first week. They need to know where they can go from here, from this position. Uh, professional growth and development. You, you already mentioned one-on-one -on -one time, just-in-time feedback. Super important. You can't wait anymore for annual reviews because people leave as we've established after two weeks. So it's daily check-ins and weekly check-ins. And here's what, what we're doing well together. Here's where we can improve ongoing training. And when we talk about different generations in the workplace, Generation Z really likes technology. So even, even during onboarding, the training that they're looking for it's like you got to put it on TikTok, which blows everybody's mind. We, you and I barely figured out how to do this live, live presentation. It's like I can't even fathom creating a training, onboarding training for employees in, in TikTok or wherever else they, they do it. But, but the key to that, Tatiana, is the engagement, right? Ask, yeah. ask them, how do, how do I help me build this for you, right? Get them involved in that process. Um, these are all fantastic ideas. And they're all things that absolutely work if your employees need and want them, right? And so for every organization and every employee, it's going to be different. And so don't just go implement a childcare option or um, a, a referral program option really talk to your employees and ask them the questions. What are the things that are important to you? Um, I like a question. I was reading a book um, that someone referred to me, um, which is a fantastic book, by the way, it's called Dream Manager. And it's about an organization that created, and it was a janitorial organization. They created a dream manager position in an organization that helped their employees each individually fulfill their own dreams. Um, and the retention that that brought um, was amazing. And so it really is about understanding what is it that, that your employees want to achieve and helping them achieve, achieve that. If it's childcare, if childcare is going to alleviate a bunch of stress for 20% of your employees, that might be something you look into. If it's a elder care, then maybe that's something you look into. If they really want to buy a house, how can you help them create a program? You don't have to give them more money. That was the interesting piece. It wasn't about throwing money at them. It was about helping them manage the decision process, helping them find resources to help them achieve those goals. 
is really what they found valuable. So it's, it's about understanding and asking the question. That's the most important part to this conversation. And you could even ask that question during the interview. What is your dream? What an easy question, but what an insightful question. Correct. What is it you're trying to achieve personally, professionally in the next, you know, five, 10 years Um, and watch, watch them go, I don't know. Right. Um, But get them thinking about it and then help them process through that. I think that's where you're going to be seen as a valuable leader and a valuable organization and a valuable culture. We are down to four minutes. Um, Any other questions or thoughts or ideas? Um, Let me check with Amber. Yeah. Anything else that you're doing in your organizations that's working? Um, uh, Somebody made a comment, comes back to knowing your people, makes me think of Undercover Boss and what they learned. Exactly. That's a great show. I love watching that. Um, and that was done way be- before COVID, right? So way before. So none of this is new. <laughs> a perfect, a perfect uh, example of this is not new, folks. It's been going on for a long time. Um, so, but if anybody has any ideas, or in the last few minutes here, I'd love to hear what you're doing that um, is working for you to attract and and retain the right people. And uh, while we wait, one of the things that I started telling my my prospects and clients and when when I network and they ask me, um, I, I go back to that responsibility that you have as a leader, as a leadership team and as an organization. You have to take action and you have to be courageous. Stop sacrificing your hiring strategy on the altar of what just uh, piling up warm bodies, you know, and then seeing them turn over continuously, stop this insanity cycle and actually do the opposite. Look at what you have. And if you, if you have a bunch of toxic people who are not producing anything or doing the minimum work, who are sabotaging all of your growth efforts, who don't have the growth mindset, and you know it's not serving you, let's say you are looking for growth mindset, your growth mindset organization, and you don't have the people to support that vision, fire them. So instead of talking about how do we attract and retain people, let's look at who we need to fire. That should also be part of your conversation. It sends a clear message for sure about what you're trying to build. Um, I use the example, um, the metaphor of buckets with holes, right? There are so many leaders running around trying to fill a pool with buckets with holes and they're running so fast that they don't have time to stop and get a bucket, another bucket that doesn't have holes. Stop and get another bucket. Like you're going to be, get rid of the toxicity, the bucket with the holes, throw it out, take the time to grab a new bucket and you'll be amazed at how more effective and efficient you are. And a lot of your stress and frustration are gonna go away. Do it right the first time. Spend the money, spend the time and the resources to do it right the first time. Yeah. And just for my closing comment, I would say these ideas, everything that we've talked about, about attracting and keeping employees, these are no longer separate strategies is what how I feel about it. It's, It's all in the same because the goal here is to become the employer of choice 
where people choose to work and choose to stay at. So it's, it's no longer separate. And I think it, it's important to, to highlight that. Business is human. And we've got to put the human back in it. That's really essentially where we're at. Thanks so much for your time, Tatiana, being here again. Love Thank having you with you. Thank you, everyone who um, joined us. Uh, hope you got something out of this today. Um, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Leadership Unscripted. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Bye.